Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to a podcast yeah, from The Word. That, that, pi- that picture. It's a great picture. When that came in, I, I couldn't believe it. It's a really good picture. Of him as well. I, 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 it was absolutely extraordinary. I wish I thought of that. I've it's looked at Dubai one, but they don't give you a price. Relax, girls. He's already married. <laughs> Look at that That's guy. That's a nice picture. <laughs> Look at that guy. These work. This, this front section thing works. Does yeah. that look solid? And that film. Don't you want to see it? That and the little posters. It's nice. That, that kind of stuff, I think, works so well when you've got those little, tiny, beautiful... Only magazines can do that. Little, tiny, beautiful, detailed pictures. You they're, can pour lo- over that. They're lovely bits of art in themselves. They are, aren't they? It's yeah. sort of fetishistic, I think. And that, that effect works really well, I think. These, just these big blocks. Sorry, Dave. I'm I'm used to no, no. What do you think? You're, listen- you you're listening to the okay. sound. There's a regular monthly ritual <laughs> in the Word office when the new issue comes in and Mark Ellen flicks through it and makes kind of clucking noises it's all the way just, through it. It's usually myself and Kate. Just like, like a proud oh. parent. Ooh. Oh, but, that's good. But this time, but this time, there's quite a few changes, Mark. There's a few changes, and I think... I have to say, I have to say that, actually. But I think they're rather good. I think you're right. Don't you? I think you're right. Yeah, we've made a few changes. Well, actually, some, I suppose anyone who's a subscriber may already have got there. Issue. I'll say they might get it this weekend. They probably get. They um, might get it this weekend. Well, don't yeah. don't scream if you don't get it this weekend. No, 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 you no, might get yeah, it Monday, Tuesday, but but I'll be interested to see what you think because we have made some changes. And the principal change, um, I will advertise now actually um, as I flick through, and I think it comes across very very powerfully. Is there is even more to read? It's for reading. I think we had we felt very strongly, as you know, over the last. Am I off the mic? Over the last, um, you know, seven years. But one of the main differences uh, between Word magazine and various others in its sector um, is that there are lots of magazines you can look at, and there's lots of magazines that are very formatted and very pictorial, but there are very few magazines that give you something um, really solid and um, nourishing 
and full of value. We're so saying 25% more up, words. 25% more words. Even more word. With added words. <laughs> Should have said that. Even more value. <laughs> if you don't like reading it, you're not going to like If you don't like, like reading, go and look at something. Yeah, go and, there's lots of things to look at. There's lots of things to look at. The Flick sky, through. for instance. <laughs> The view, the view out the window. But if you want to read, yeah. uh, there's I've no read, better destination. I've read most of it. There's lots of it. See, I've read, there's two or three things in this new issue that I haven't read because I can't read everything. One of them was an article about um, uh, Conan Doyle, right. which is a, a biography about <laughs> like Chris Bray. It's real on the money, that is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, we like to keep Cutting touch. edge. We, we couldn't get an interview, but <laughs> we made it up anyway. <laughs> <laughs> His PR wouldn't return our calls. And uh, it's fantastic, and that's yeah. a big old solid three thousand words that I just forgot was in the issue. Actually, very even that. There's the feeling of log fires, Dave. Yeah. Fine single malt whiskey, you know, which I know you. Appreciate. I know. Sorry, listeners, but Dave and I have got this pathetic thing. We don't actually live together, by the way. We live in separate houses, but we we do like to oh, sit. Oh, don't deny it. <laughs> we do like to chuck you a log me on the fire. <laughs> There were certain people who used to watch Old Grey Whistlers about 25 years ago. I think thought Dave and I were sort of Eric and Ernie kind of couple. Sharing a bed. Sharing a bed. Yeah. And arguing about, with, uh, about with, the little river bag. Wearing Wincy at pyjamas with, <laughs> a pipe, with a pipe. <laughs> Who's turning it to make the toast, you know. But anyway, no, it's, it looks good. Enough about this. But so it's anyway, very exciting when you, get a, when you work on something and get it back from, from the press. Which I only just have, actually. Right? So that looks really, really So we look forward to people's feedback. Oh, can I say one more but read thing? it first. Can I say one more thing? It's got a very different cover, actually. Which has, I have to say, gone down extremely well with the very few people who've seen it so far. And the cover is an illustration. And we did that really because it was an experiment to see what it would look like. And I think the general feeling was it looked very good. And it looked different. I think it gives it gravitas. It's gravitas. I think it does. He's our new columnist. Yes, gravitas. You remember Atticus and Gravitas. We're going to have gravitas. It's like a Molesworth character. Yeah. And uh, Ronald Sill drawing, I can see him now. Yeah. Um, but we, um, one of the things that we wanted to do, I think, was make the magazine feel more like the um, quite American formatted staple. There's also staple, there's a different format thing. Those kind of quite preppy... Periodicals. Intellectual, periodicals, good word, the journals that provided not just um, narrative about, about the entertainment business, but also perspective, yeah. debate, conjecture, comment, etc. Which I think we do, and we always have done, actually. And I wonder if that doesn't come over a bit more clearly. I don't know. We should say it's a great cover. There's Bob Dylan looking at it now with, with the hand of God sampled from Blake's painting. I recognise that. Yeah, it actually was his. Because we Googled it. We Google it now. Here from Blake's lawyers. <laughs> Blake's lawyers will be on the phone, along with Conan Doyle's. Uh, and uh, yeah, an electrical uh, charge is running from his finger into the microphone that Dylan is singing in. And it's, it looks very, very impressive. Yeah, I had a bit of feedback from a reader this morning, not about this issue, about last issue or the one before, and it was one of those late bits of feedback because it came from Australia. Not that it takes a long time to send an email from Australia, but no. it took a while for the magazine to get to Australia. And it was one of those bits of criticism that occasionally you just want to dash off an email straight back. I don't want to know what you think, Mark. I'm going to put this to Mark. Yeah, go on. This chap said, a lot of your magazine is about... Well, he was particularly talking about television stuff. He says, people are on the television in Britain, and I'm in Australia, and I don't know who they are. And I think he actually said, less of this, please. And I <laughs> Did he have a solution? We put well, a more Australian a special, specially made Australian edition. Yeah, I- with any, any members, any panellists from QI surgically removed from the flat plane. Well, had I, you know, had I dashed into a kind of instant response, 
I would have been forced to say, it's a little bit like me writing to the New York Times and saying, can you please take out all that stuff about New York? Yeah. You know, but because you see, we live... We live in a world where you can get access to anything. But I've always thought that as a, 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 that's true. And B, I've always thought that's a bit of a win-win uh, for the readership because you know, I, I, it's like my fascination with American uh, periodicals. I do like this word because they're writing about a world that I'm not involved in. Um, I understand. I'm very interested in, and I can access it. But what I want is their their interpretation of it, actually. There's something terribly sophisticated and exciting for me, and always has been, about, you know, intellectual New Yorkers, yeah. you know, looking at their own media. And as you know, um, English-based rock magazines have very big currency abroad, particularly in America, because there's a romantic attachment that they they can associate with a British rock Britain, magazines yeah. seen through the perspective of British people. Yeah. Because actually, if you read English... I mean, I remember that so vividly when I read an interview once with, um, with Kurt Cobain. And he was talking about, who was the band that he used to like? Was it the UK Subs? He liked all these really odd. I think it was. And he said, I can't wait to get to him because I want to go and see where the UK Subs uh, come from. They said, they apparently come from a place called Reading. So I think they did, you know. <laughs> and the idea that, that in, in, in Kurt Cobain's mind, Reading was like what, what, you know, Gary, Indiana is to me. Well, I went to Gary, Indiana once. It's an industrial estate. Have you been to Galveston? Galveston's even worse. And I actually I thought, because it had been mentioned in a song, it was going to be full of a load of people sitting on street corners playing the acoustic guitar. You I, I travelled by 26 hours from Flagstaff, Arizona to Wichita. Oh, really? Because of the song. Did you really? It's a shithole. Gosh, I've done it. <laughs> which, <laughs> which are we talking about? Flagstaff? Wichita. Is Wichita it, is a shithole. It's horrible, yeah. Is it? Yeah. It's grim. It's the home of Pizza Hut. Uh, that's what put it on the map. Yeah. But it's a lovely sounding word, you see. It's, it is. It's, it's a euphonious word, yeah. isn't it? You know, that's why it lends itself to song. But that's, all that, that romanticism works both ways. Yeah, yeah. Because Americans, and I would have hoped Australians and, and Europeans, somehow, somehow over-romanticise the British groups that, of course, we think are incredibly prosaic. But it's not just that. You see, if I, if I, there's a very fine Australian periodical called The Month, I think, um, which uh, Robert Foster, who wrote about in the last issue, contributes of to. Of the go-betweens. Of the go-betweens. Yeah. And I, I'd, you know, I'd love to read it. And the part of the reason I'd love to read it is, A, to get an Australian perspective, and, read, uh, and B, to read about Australian things that I don't know about. And I think one of the things that has happened in media generally in the last 20 years is... As it's got more competitive and as people get far better at researching and knowing how things are received, I think people are more and more risk-averse in what they put in these things. And so you tend to be constantly confronted with the things with which you're already familiar. Because the TV producer worries that you'll switch off if you're confronted by something that you don't know all oh, about. You talk about which media? You talk, you talk about broadcast media? I'm talking about, media. I think, the same, same thing's happened in print in a lot of I've cases. Done, done, you know, I used to love reading the NME when it was full of stuff I didn't understand. Yeah. I, yes. I don't, well, I do agree with that in principle, but I don't agree with that totally in practice. And I have to, th- I have to say, I think Word magazine does not, uh, uh, does not um, um, adhere to that. Because you're absolutely right in broadcast, because if you look at uh, a television programme, a documentary or whatever, and they want to go off on a tangent, they don't dare go off on a tangent, because if they lose your attention, there are 67 other channels you might flick over to, and you might not flick back. Mm-hmm. Same with the radio. But the great thing about, about periodicals is that you can run completely unconnected things that only a tiny percentage of the readership might like, because you're not expecting everyone to read everything. No, no. I think that's a real advantage, actually. So anyway, I was, uh, I was asking on Twitter this morning if anybody had any, any questions that they wanted to put to, um, to us. And uh, Mark, put your glasses on. You mm. can read that on this iPhone that I passed to you. Uh, All right. 
How many times will Mark do a ha laugh right into the microphone? Do I do that? Yeah. Right into the microphone, causing listeners to reel around with bleeding ears. Yeah, this is Sorry, what, I didn't... That's, it, from, that's from... That's from uh, that's a very subtle Lenny way Lord. of telling me, isn't it, today? <laughs> you wanted to tell me that for years. No, but, but this is... I'm trying to... I'm bat, batting for Fraser here, because this is a, a, a podcast that's impossible to balance, isn't it? It is, yes. Because it, it has more dynamic range than... Led Zeppelin's you know, first album <laughs> or something, you know, then Stairway to Heaven. You know, so instead yeah. of Pixies invented that quiet, loud thing, they didn't. Mark Allen did. Did I? So what do I do? Do I shout into the mic? Is no, you, you laugh that? loud. But listen, don't, don't, don't ever, please don't ever change. I do that in change. life. Don't in the words change. of Buddy Holly, whoever it was, please don't ever change. Don't go changing. We kind of like you just the way you are. <laughs> like just the way you are. Uh, also, uh, feedback I got yesterday from Simon Hendy. He says he just listened to all of the Word magazine, mag- magazine, a magazine podcast, all 122 of them. How long did it take him? He started in mid-November and listening on the bus to work. Good so man. He's, he's been doing it every day on the bus to work. And so he'll be really pleased that we're coming along with, you know, 123, if that's what it is. Exactly. What do you want to do is keep the He said, actually, I asked him last night, I said, how was it? He said, I haven't got the, the, the tweet that he sent back. He said, oh, I really enjoyed it. He says, it's far better than music. So I think that should be our slogan. Better than music. <laughs> Better than music. Oh, that's good. You know, that, that, that's I think good. you ought to keep a tally of how many times we tell the same story. So it could um, be Elton John and the Naked Parachutist. Three, you know, couldn't it? Oh, Chrissy Hyde and the, and the Pate de Foie Gras. Two. Van Morrison. <laughs> Van Morrison. Seven. <laughs> Rob Mansfield has a question for us. Should we care about the Brits anymore? And do we have any personal Brits memories? Again, my personal Brits memory, I do, I genuinely used to love it when it was live and it was chaos. I was, I was there at the Samantha Fox, Mick Fleetwood, um, uh, do... Was it obvious chaos in the room? It, yeah, the chaos was, it wasn't quite as evident as it was ultimately on the television because they're further away. Yeah. But you knew it was chaos when, I don't know, was it Bill Wyman walked on when it should have been the four tops? Or was it, you know, it's just people trundling on and off. It's like amateur dramatic. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that was the same year where Cliff Richard made a little impassioned appeal on behalf of Kenneth Baker. It was the kind of arts and culture guru or whatever he was at the time. Uh, and I was there when Prince turned up with his massive man and bodyguard. That. Yes, was that a slave of... written on his face. Yeah. And, uh, and a member of Blur, Blur went on stage the next year, didn't they? And the drummer had Dave written on his face. <laughs> so I thought it was an absolute See, I used brilliant. To, I used to really like the thing I used to like about the Brits was it's like it was like the sixth form concert that the head teacher had got the sixth form in and said, "Now I'm going to trust you. You're going to do this properly. I expect you're going to have a few zany japes, but yep. don't go too far." And they always used to go slightly too far. Yeah, you can loosen your tie. It's always had that feeling about it. But then it got taken over by the professionals, you see. So, you know, I don't, I don't that, like it quite that as much. Broca, that Samantha Fox is still... Uh, it, I, 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 I can never get enough of going back to that moment. Yeah, yeah. There was, when, when, in the days of my brief experience with television, you were told that if things went wrong, A, don't, if possible, don't reference it, and B, don't shed any light on... The technology of what you're doing, you've got to make it look like you're speaking to camera and don't let on there's a teleprompter or an auto cue. And Sam Fox at one point came up with the immortal line, which I'll never forget, which was, I can't see that thing from here. <laughs> Do you remember that? Now, if you, you can read into those, that short number of words, you know, so much catastrophe. You know, can't you? But I, 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 I think, should we care about the Brits? I think it's, it seems to have a bit more profile of, of late. Now, I sort of feel that 
There's more acts coming out of it nowadays. You know, there's a bit of a revival in the British pop scene. Isn't there? Who it's comes out of the Brits then? What, what oh, kind of people, do you mean uh, big R and B stars and pop stars? Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's the kind of it's the big theatre for Amy Winehouse, the continuing drama of the Amy Winehouse. Yeah. I think Florence yeah. and the Machine did yeah, the British Florence and the Machine. No, I don't think they were really on the radar before they showed up. No, the it's I don't know, Little Boots and Lady Gaga and all that. You know, there's, there's just a. There's a big parade of really interesting, eye-catching televisual people who are doing really good music, actually. And so I can see, I can see why it matters. No, that's, uh, and it's a fantastic spectacle, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you, you, you're not going to see that much money spend on one set for a three-minute performance by Foo Fighters or whatever. No, no, no. The, 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 ever again in your life, you know. Philip Guest, further question. Fraser, you may like to come in on this. What effect does the panel? We are the panel. Oh, this is exciting! Uh, think panel. the Apple iPad is going to have on the magazine industry. What's, the, what's the Apple iPad? <laughs> this is uh, it's, it's like. And who are the Beatles? <laughs> a High Court judge today. <laughs> it's like an iPhone but bigger. It's not like an iPhone but bigger. It's like an iTouch that bigger. Yes, it's not yeah. a phone. Yeah. What's like an a, iPhone? Yeah. <laughs> Um, do you think it'll have an effect? Because it seems to be being talked about as if in the future people read magazines on these, uh, you know, quite, quite big I'm screens. I'm not entirely convinced. I'm not entirely convinced. I'm not either. entirely convinced it's a solution to anything. No. <laughs> I think, yeah. Oh, well, I think, like many things, it's an answer in search of a question, yeah. isn't it? Uh, which is what seems to increasingly and, happen and, in and technology. I, and I'm an Apple fan, and I, I love yeah. it. And before it came out, I was thinking, this is something I'm going to put on my Christmas list, but I don't want one. I don't see the point. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that one kicked into touch. So, Philip Guest, you build. You know, when they've taken over the world and Fraser's got seven of them, you can you can come back uh, and uh, and take him to task on that. Martin Cole, could you discuss why Midlake having eleven of the twelve tracks on the new LP in a minor key is so different? Is it unusual? Over to Mark Allen, our correspondent on minor keys. <laughs> oh, that's that's a, what a good question. That's a very good question. Don't you think? Well done, Martin. It is. Uh, I don't think it is that different because um, I, I'm, tr I'm trying to think of a little... I mean, Roy Harper, I don't think, ever wrote a song in a major key. Um, did he? Another, I mean, great, another great chart rogering success. <laughs> Roy Harper. <laughs> 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 I went to see Midlake the other night. Go on. Uh, it, it's one of those moments where... Um, they also. I went to the Folk Awards as well, and the number of people who came. We've run a, a, a piece in. Is it? You know, it's last issue, the one with Ian Dury on the cover, yeah. which I really liked. And I rung up Andy. I basically wanted to write it myself. I, I was addicted to this record by Midlake. I don't know if anybody listening has, has, has agrees with me. Has heard this thing? It's the they? most extraordinary record. Oh, I love David Hepworth loathes and detests. It's one song. It's one song. It's more than one song. It's it's it, it, it's one song. It has yeah, dimensions, yeah, David, yeah, yeah. that reward um, further <laughs> listening. And patience. <laughs> but if you haven't the patience to investigate that, um, yours is the lot. So they are, uh, they are, ah, they're extraordinary. And it's just one of those groups where everybody's talking about them. You know, I'm not quite sure why, because they're very undynamic, as you know. When I saw them the other night, there were not the usual five, there were seven of them. And they've managed to recruit two more people, again, sent by central casting, to look like they walked off the band's second album oh, cover. Oh, so fed up with band beards. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also, most people growing beards at that age are growing fairly unconvincing beards, actually. You know, it's not Paul McCartney, let it be. This is, this is pretty wispy, you know. And, uh, well, you've been kissing an Alsatian. What <laughs> <laughs> a horrendous <laughs> image. That's good. But, yeah, they are all in a minor key. But it's meant to be... Um, 
Oh gosh, how can I say this without, without being pretentious? It's a sort of it's a song cycle, Dave. Can I use the expression song cycle? It's like saying something's a concept album. Now, I once mistakenly uh, opened an interview with Elvis Costello when he made that record, The Juliet Letters. Oh yeah, yeah. On the radio, by by mentioning a song cycle in my opening question. So I said, "So Elvis, is this what you call a song cycle?" And Elvis, who's you know perfectly charming, you know, not aggressive person, said. No, because song cycles go back to the beginning and start again. You know, because he obviously knew more about song cycles than I did. Yeah, song catch cycle. up. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you do your job and I'll, I'll do mine. I'll write the song. Don't get, in, can write don't get into musicological boxing with Elvis yeah. Costello because he'll murder you, you know, because he knows a lot about form. Uh, most, most songs hook around, the majority of songs hook around a, a major to minor f- Cadence, right? Okay. They all maybe they, that's the thing that's making. There's me a vast number of songs. G to E minor or, or or C to A minor, which is the same sequence, is in it, obviously it's in. It, is in that the saddest songs. of all chord progressions? Saddest of all chord progressions, you know. Um, and, as, and there's as another, there's another one. Sang, there's, there's, if you listen to the beginning of uh, A Day in the Life by John Lennon, it, it goes. It's G B minor E minor. And that chord prediction, uh, b- b- progression has been used a million times. And a lot of people don't realise that they're... Well, a million times, well, he used it, actually, because it comes from a lot of soul songs. But when you hear it, you're immediately affected by it. It's probably because subconsciously you know a day in the life so is well. Is it Kel Porter or Gershwin, one of the, the great uh, songwriters of the, of the 30s and 40s? There's the line in the song, how strange is the change from major to minor, isn't there? Absolutely. Every time... Every time Every time we fall in love, is it? Somebody? Yeah, and there's a lovely line in the third verse of Hallelujah. Now, how does it go by Lennon Cohen? Oh, the, it, it the goes ma- like this. The, the minor fall and the, the major, major lift. lift. As he the does baffled it, king. That's right. He changes into the minor and then does the fourth. Okay, next question from Stephen Green. Uh, wants to know, is there any chance of taking Meet the Massive on the road? He says, interest is building for a Manchester, what he calls, a Manchester Massive Mingle. Could we just explain um, to anybody listening who might not know what this is, because it is the most fantastic phenomenon. A lot of magazines attempt this in reverse, which is that they attempt to throw a party and uh, interest their readers in attending this party. Now, the reverse has happened, as you know, on Word magazine, which is that, unbeknown to us, members of the Massive have got together and thrown enormous bean feasts (laughs) in watering holes in central London and probably quite grudgingly invited members of Word staff to to, to attend. Not grudgingly, actually, very sweetly, you know. Isn't that a wonderful thing? There was one last uh, couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking 36, about 36, 40 week. people got yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they all bought Fraser a drink. Fraser stayed to the bitter end. I was there for a couple of hours. Fraser stayed to the end with the, with the, the outcome that he was the most drunk man in the metropolitan London area. I think I probably was. Yeah, because 40 people had all bought him a pint of Guinness or whatever. You know. And I'm staggered that he managed to get home. Staggered is probably the operative word. <laughs> so, Stephen, I tell you what, I'm, I'm going to make a promise here. If you can scare up a, recent, a, a decent quorum for a Manchester massive mingle, I'll come. Okay? Wow. That sounds good. That's on tape, isn't it? How would you do that, then? I mean, what, so this is, what, what would it consist of? Is it just... Well, they find, they find a room in a pub, and they, they get a you know, decent number of people there, and I'll get on the train and I'll come. Shouldn't we record a podcast with the massive in the audience? Well, that's been talked about, actually, and it was one, of the, it's one of the topics, actually, that, that people have, um, have tweeted about. And we were, talk- were we talking about it last week on the podcast? I think we might have been. That um, it would have to be a bit different, I think, you know, because 
What we're doing essentially at the moment, you'll With be staggered to, to realise this, uh, people, is not a spectator sport. Right? <laughs> it, it, it sounds like three blokes sitting in a room chundering on. Do you know why? Because that's precisely what it is. <laughs> And whereas if we were going to do something with an audience, you'd feel the need for it to be a bit more interactive. structured, formal, structured. Uh, possibly interactive, you know, maybe a bit more like a kind of, you know, just a minute type Radio 4 panel game or something of that, of that nature. But I think it's likely that within the next year, there's going to be, there's going to be a bit of that action. So where we're planning, I can't reveal that, but we are planning on an event at a, a, a rock festival this summer yeah, yeah, in July, yeah. which I think so, would be quite good. The Word, a magazine, a website, a podcast. A way of life. Further question from Gagarin, named after Yuri. What was the name of the first dog in space? Laika? Could have been. Not Rinka. Don't know. What nationality was the dog? Russian. 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 Oh, of course, I remember it. Um, Not that old. Anyway, Gagarin wants, wants to know, could our panel ever again. see themselves remotely watching a concert in 3D? Now, I watch all concerts in 3D. I can say. What's he talking about? Yes, yes. <laughs> Is he, is he visually impaired? I, How does this work? Do, does he mean like, uh, like the rugby is being shown in 3D on the, the cinema? Presumably that you could go to a cinema and you would see, you know, Bruce Springsteen live, but piped Sliding in. Sliding on his somewhere knees else. towards you and yeah. <laughs> through the back of your skull. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I have to say, I have to confess a prejudice. I know you'd be amazed to hear that I've got a prejudice, but I'm <laughs> just, out of character. just the one. <laughs> um, is 3D, I don't get it. Right, but David, can let me ask you a question, right? Okay. You're going to say, have you seen Avatar? I'm going to say, have you seen three-dimensional movie Avatar? And you're going to say no, and then I'm going to say, so on what basis do you build the construction that 3D is used? Okay, I'll tell you on what basis, because I I was was talking to a mutual friend of ours this weekend, a very experienced TV executive, and I said, 3D, go on, they're talking about in the future. You know, isn't the, what is this? Is this, it's, it's coming, this is a right? genuine, you know, innovation that, that, that the public is queuing up for, yeah, or is this a load of hardware manufacturers desperately trying to think of the next generation post HD widescreen, whatever? He says it is entirely the latter. They're desperately trying to sell you something. Now, I can well understand that there may be a huge Hollywood blockbuster every year or every five years or whatever that takes advantage of this kind of thing, but the notion that you want to sit and watch the rugby or the FA Cup final regularly behind glasses in your living room I think it's just nonsense isn't it people don't do that well, I, th- people, I think it's partly about scale it's like people don't sit there with headphones on watching the telly they no. can get better stereo you can hear it better but they can't be bothered but you know what they want is convenience the reason Avatar one of the reasons Avatar works so well apart from it being just staggeringly beautiful is the fact that it fills your vision it's a big screen yeah on a 24-inch TV. It's not. Sitting on the opposite side of your living room. That's not going to work. So, so, so the figure leaping out towards you on your television screen is, is a quarter of the size of you. Yes. As opposed to an avatar where it's four times, more exactly, than four times yeah. the size of you. Uh, that's a very good point, Fred. The, uh, uh, Fraser and I have both been to see Avatar. And both and loved it. Both absolutely adored it. And uh, the, my feeling was that obviously... Terrible film though, isn't it? This, yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, obviously there is... That goes a, along with Fraser's Wichita, it's a shit <laughs> It's a terrible <laughs> film. Shit <laughs> <laughs> such a great expression. Shit Arizona. Moose droppings in the air. Shit Arizona. Such a terrible sight to see. That's right. 
Um, no, the the my feeling was that that obviously there's a novelty. As anyone who's listening has seen Avatar, which is absolutely mind bending, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I, I have to say, I, I went on my own to see this film. In Shepherd's Bush, in a dismal little cinema, Uncle Rollo, I couldn't get anybody to come with me. Would you like to be Mark Ellen's friend? <laughs> <laughs> He's looking a for a friend. with Mark Ellen. You know, share his popcorn. <laughs> and, uh, and the price of his popcorn, actually, it's crippling, isn't it? But I, um, I, I couldn't get anyone to go with me. And so I'm sitting there, and there's a bloke next to me who clearly has done the same thing. He's about my age. And we just, just you know, looked at each other with those kind of shrugging, contemptuous expressions as if to say, come on then, impress me. And obviously, there's a novelty to these things. There was, it reminded me of Jurassic Park. When I went to see Jurassic Park, I think it was in, was it 93 it came out? And there's a brilliant structural moment in Jurassic Park where our heroes, who I can't remember the girl, but I think it might be... Laura Dern. Laura Dern. Jeff Goldblum. And Jeff Goldblum are in a, in a kind of jeep, and they're being driven, <laughs> possibly by the uh, uh, appalling Dickie Attenborough, across the top of a hill and... Over that hill, they will see the spectacle. What's the panorama. About Dickie Not a big fan of Dickie. And you love Dickie. Sorry, Dave. Dickie's Dickie a genius. He's a genius. Yes. <laughs> what is Dickie? Dickie's You're not a genius in Jurassic Park. Dickie Attenborough has been involved in more great films than. I'm talking about his acting. As an actor, Brighton Rock, come on. Dickie, it's a slap. This happy breed. That's appalling. He's not appalling at all. Ten Rillington Place, a real of more brilliant Dickie Attenborough performances than you can find Robert De Niro performances. I guarantee you. I'm not and backing Robert De Niro to anybody who says that. I can see you will. Blunderbusses at dawn. But <laughs> anyway, I'm saying Dickie anyway. is an obstacle in this film. But anyway, he's a very small obstacle. So looking over Dickie's head, we see the panorama <laughs> of these astonishing dinosaurs. And, well, and the way um, Spielberg sets it up, which is fantastic, is that the two turn to each other and they go, Oh my God, look at that, or whatever. And you, the audience, are prepared for an amazing spectacle. And when you get it, and it's still, actually... I saw no, it not still. That's my... That's no, I think it's still... No, it's quite impressive, actually. But at the time, recently, At the time, I agree. Oh, my Lord. At the time, yeah. I agree. And this is my point about special effects. Nothing dates like special effects. Jurassic Park now is a preposterous, idiotic... I'm thing. sure this thing will date. Where, uh, but there's a moment Whereas Jaws, which I watch regularly... Well, that's it's got no special effects. It's got it has no... got special effects, but you forget them. You know, because the shark is kind of stupid. The tension well, they, of the they story barely, is no, 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 absolutely untrue. It's, very rarely is David Hepworth wrong. No. It's astonishing. You're wrong because there aren't really any special effects in it at all. Oh, no, no! Stop that! Leave uh, it alone! Goodness me! Come on, though. This is meant to be an intellectual debate. That's low. That's Let a go. low trick. There's a, and, bit, uh, there's a big cloud with fists and legs. No, as out. any fool know, the success of Jaws is the shark was no, so no, preposterously no, 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 no. unconvincing he could not use it. The most, the most terrifying moment in, in Jaws, Dave, and this is a fact. We're not having a discussion. This is a statement of fact, right? It's it's the girl you know what it is? No, it's when the camera, just above the surface of the water, filmed at the height of somebody who might be floating in the water with this uh, creature approaching from below, right? is looking at the boat, right, and nothing happens for 30 seconds until the three orange barrels yeah, 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 surface yeah. Yeah, in front of And that is obviously far more terrifying than the sight of the very unconvincing Papier-Mâché shark. But it's a brilliant film, still. Do you have you watched it, you watch it recently, Joe? I haven't, no. Oh, it's masterful, honestly. It's really well acted, really good story. It is, it's, I couldn't agree more, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. But, but going, going back to this, there's a brilliant moment in, in, in Avatar when the spaceship uh, approaches, we're told they're going to the aerial mountains. And already you're thinking, this is going to be, this film is pretty good anyway, but we're not going to see something called aerial mountains. And, and one of them goes, whoopee, my favourite place, or whatever. 
And there's another character on board, I can't remember who, who's obviously never been there before. So he, through him, you're seeing the novelty of this experience. You know? So this is being teed up as being the most phenomenal spectacle. And what you see in the film is vertical mountains floating in, in space, right? Dave's going to be slightly narrow no, in the no, already. I should, I should yeah. With waterfalls pumping out the On side. my own, listen. On my own. Said, anybody who wants... Hot date. David Hepburn is <laughs> available. Also looking for, for a popcorn consumption. <laughs> <laughs> Endless panellists seeking, <laughs> seeking plus ones. Hurry, well, stocks linger. And, and anyway, they, uh, the, 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 one of the, I don't know what these creatures are really, they're like bats, aren't they? Giant yeah. bats, uh, they're, they're, they're dinosaur, flying dinosaurs, you know, are raced down the vertical cliff edge of these um, aerial mountains through the tangled roots of the trees, um, through the waterfalls, uh, into a kind of infinity below... It is the most extraordinary thing in the world. And, 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 and the, constantly they're creating scenes in order to display the capabilities of, of 3D. Yeah. One of which is that, uh, it won't ruin the, the movie uh, if, you, if you know this, listeners, but the, the sacrificial tree is destroyed. And the effect is that the ash from the sacrificial tree floats in the air around you in the cinema. And it is absolutely phenomenal. I, I looked around when that bit happened and there was people all over the room. There was people reaching out to grab. How funny they were with me too. The girl in front of me was yeah. in there. Yeah. Well, and, now and that you've warned me, I shall sit there with my arms folded. Of course you will. <laughs> oh, you will. Sitting on your hands. I will not enjoy it. Mr. Commander. <laughs> Mr. Commander. <laughs> okay, oh, disappointed in, hot day. That's enough of Avatar. Yeah. It's had enough publicity. All right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, one of the most popular threads on the Word website, wordmagazine.co.uk, was started a few days ago by Nick TF, which he's called Your Personal Rock and Roll Truisms, which we could also be called These Things I Hold to Be Self-Evident. You know what I mean? These are laws of rock and roll, which he's producing himself. And and loads of people have followed up. I've printed off pages of these things, Okay, and I'm going to try on a few of these things. His first one is Sergeant Pepper is not even in the top three Beatles albums. <laughs> this is fighting talk. Go on. Isn't it? How do they uh, that? Well, okay, in his, in his defence, Sergeant Pepper, as any fool know, was meant to contain the following tracks A Day in the Life and Strawberry Fields. The Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields. Sorry, Penny, Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields. It does have Day in the Life. It does have Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields, which I think were recorded in December 1966, and they were the first. They songs. needed a single, so they gave yeah, them both. They needed a single, they panicked. <laughs> Out it went. And gave them both. Double A's. So if you imagine you took off one of the weak tracks, lovely Rita, I suppose. No! And uh, fixing a hole where the rain is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. George Harris' sit-on noodle. Oh, sit-on noodle. Yeah, Within right. you, without But it's George, respect to the great man. You see? You've got to have him there. So... So if you took that out, then you would, I suppose, be looking at what was the intended uh, original yeah. plan for the album, which is pretty sensational. It's pretty sensational. But it's not <laughs> as good as Revolver. Or Rubber Soul. It's not as good as Abbey Road. And it's not as good as the White Album. Okay. And All probably right, not fine. as good so, as Robert Sullivan. So you think that's controversial. Well, yeah. it's not that controversial. He also says, it's quite interesting the case here, says there are no Beatles LPs I can listen to without skipping at least one track. But which of the tracks he listen to? That's well, I would imagine, I'm, I'm guessing, I would imagine it's on a yellow submarine in Octopus. Maxwell Silver. And, and Revolution. Nine. Revolution number nine. But... Mr. I was, I was, I was, I was looking at this on the on the train in this morning, and and I can rebut your theory, Nick TF, because there is one that absolutely you can listen to every track. A go on, which Hard Day's Night. Oh, I can't think. What every there, single actually. track on Hard Day's Night is brilliant. 
every single track. Because the, the second side is loads of stuff that they just added in the studio that they didn't think was quite good enough singles. It's got things we said today and it, all that sort of stuff on it. Revolver, well, nothing on a revolver you'd skip? Uh, you probably, well, Yellow Submarine's on a revolver. I know a lot of people don't like Yellow Submarine. I don't mind. I think also those kind of, the corny tracks and the Mavs tracks, which are probably the things that he would talk about skipping, are the kind of things that made the Beatles the Beatles. <laughs> they did that. They thought, I know it's corny. I know it's crazy. You know, I've gone back to listening to those. We had some people around the other night, and I got out my mono master's box. Set, oh, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I was very sweetly sent by EMI, because I wrote so much about the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Very yeah, I didn't get one. No, well, I mean, it's 240 quid, isn't it? Mm. I mean, not, and we listened to... Um, uh, you know my name, look up the number and things like that. And of course it's oh, you've just got just... friends who like that, I know. That. Oh, my God. At your party, brilliant. I went to a birthday party where a, of yours where a band played You Know My Name, <laughs> look up the number. <laughs> that, that is, that is that's a, that's a peek inside the private hell of Mark well, Allen. My that 40th is. birthday party, the same band, I remember, played uh, She Is Beyond Good and Evil by the pop group. As a cover version, because it was one of Mark Cullen's favourite songs. Wow. And my pal I was having the birthday with. So that's, that's controversial. I, I've got to say, that didn't start the dancing. So no. Nick TF has started the ball rolling with loads of points here, and loads of people have, uh, have, have gone in. Um, uh, Tippy Wonder, Wooder, says, talking of David Bowie, Tin Machine, Tin Machine 2, let, Never Let Me Down, Tonight and Let's Dance, are all far superior to young Americans. By far, David Bowie's worst album only has two decent songs, the title track and fame. It might be true. It might be true. But the thing is that there's a halo effect from the really big tracks, isn't there? I'm a bit out of touch with David Bowie. I stopped listening to him when he made The Great... Was it Ashes to Ashes, like 1980? Yeah. Was the B-side, the greatest B-side ever made. You know that one? What was the B-side? It's called Move On. Somewhere someone's calling me when the chips are down. You know that one? Does that work? I've never heard that voice. <laughs> oh, I've just done the laughing into the microphone. I'm just, I see now. You see? Yeah. Jimmy Mack says, any album described by an artist or band as a return to form or back to basics will be nothing of the sort. Yeah, quite That's true, true, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely true. Because that, that also follows on from Robert Foster's point that you should never follow anybody who describes their music as dark. Because it's not. Yeah. If they call it dark, it can't be dark. It's like edgy. Oasis is more like Slade than the Beatles. Fact. Fact. Absolutely fact. Absolutely true. They Definitely fact. that themselves. They, they yeah. they were one, an one enormous compliment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can fit the best of the Clash onto a single CD. Or single LP, I would have thought, actually. Possibly EP. Yeah, I'd go... Clash, uh, interesting example 74 tracks, uh, 74 minutes on a CD. I'd say it's a lot of music. Yeah, the, the, the Clash are an interesting example of a group, like the Grateful Dead, that have no singers. <laughs> it's <laughs> incredible. Grateful Dead has a minus quantity. If you look at the, the, the groups like the band, had four absolutely brilliant singers. Yeah, one, they, of them, one of them, the, the fourth singer, in fact, let the other three do all the singing, Robbie Robertson, because he incredible. thought they were better than him. I mean, that's how good they You look at the Beach Boys, look at the birds, you remember the, the individual quality, the, the hollies, the individual quality of the singing of these people. And then you get to the dead, and you think, well, Pigpen McKernan can't sing, so that's fine, we'll, we'll miss out. Big boss, man. to sing. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's see what Jerry Garcia is doing. This awful. Next. <laughs> Next, and on comes Whispering Bob Weir. That can't be the best. Next. Absolutely hopeless. Phil Lesh. Phil Lesh sings Carpaconius, doesn't he? And you think, this is the absolutely no one. But then you start trying the drummers. And then they sing in harmony, because so you've got the extraordinary combination of three people who, who can't really <laughs> sing, all singing out of tune, and somehow managing to resonate together. 
Which group are we talking about? Wasn't the Talking about the Clash. 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 Yeah. They're great non-singers. I mean, they're much better non-singers than some really good singers are. Yeah. Do, you, all do you accept that there is, there is a distinct distinction between not being able to sing and not having a voice? Um, See, I would say The Clash didn't have any voices. Joe Strummer could kind of sing. You know, Jane Jones and so forth, you know, he had that very definite way of communicating. But there was no instrument to, to use on, on that communication. But it didn't really matter. He was a sort of... It was a kind of posture, wasn't it? The noise he made didn't really matter. It sounded like part of the guitar section, actually. It wasn't really a vocal. It was just another kind of texture. Uh, I, I don't think he was... Um, I don't think it mattered that he couldn't sing, to be honest. I mean, I haven't seen him quite a few times. Yeah. Okay, this is uh, from Formby Man. He says, Peter Gabriel's new covers album is Comedy Gold. <laughs> oh, that's... That's very funny. Oh! I can I can see why you might say that because I reviewed it in the in the new issue, and uh, it's I don't know I don't know if people are aware of this. It's um, it's it's what he calls a song swap project, where he's doing uh, songs by artists he admires, and in exchange they've agreed to do things of his, <laughs> try to embarrass them into it. I would have thought, and. Um, and what he's done is he's done it without guitars and without drums. And so that just has the result of making everything really slow. Yeah. And if you make things slow, they sound funny, unless you're prepared to take them utterly seriously. You know what I mean? If somebody does a familiar song, if somebody did Ernie the Fastest Milkman in the West with an orchestra, very slowly, it'd be, well, hilarious, wouldn't it? <laughs> I don't understand Peter Gabriel. Go I on. Just don't, I just, no, I just don't get, I don't get it. You know, I went to WOMAD this year. I've seen Peter Gabriel many times. In fact, I saw him in 1970 at the Farnborough Technical College uh, in the corner of the student bar. And it was, uh, it was, I can't remember, two and six to get in or something. But if you waited five songs, you could get in for nothing. And me and my friend Kathy Collins waited till halfway through the set to go and see Genesis, who we'd heard about. And they didn't even have a stage. They were playing on, on the actual floor of, of, yeah. of the, of the uh, kind of refectory. And, uh, and Peter Gabriel was dressed as a marigold. I mean, he had an enormous uh, floral... Attachment round his head, and um, I didn't really understand what they were about at all. Actually, they're quite interesting, but I liked them more then. I think I liked him more then. Well, you know, I just not true. I liked him at the point of um, uh, Salisbury Hill, and uh, in the, uh, was it Red Rain? God, I can't remember. That. Red Rain, yeah, really, those are brilliant records. But I saw him at WOMAD last year doing some um, of the set that he's actually put out on this record. I don't understand it, Dave. No. I simply don't understand it because he's technically. Extraordinarily good. He has a, a fascinating intellectual approach to what he does, but it, it leaves me completely unmoved. Right. Uh, I, I don't mean that to be damning in any way of the great man and all he's uh, achieved, but I, I don't. I don't find it in any way stirring. Have you got anything there, Mark? That you've uh, you spotted? <laughs> the shorter the haircuts, the better the music they record. The is. shorter the music. If who is this from? Uh, Steve Hill. If Kraftwerk were British or American. They would be much more lauded. Oh, I see, it's a lot of... Sorry, it's a whole load of points. The acid house dance music scene in the late 80s was far more exciting than punk. Stop me when you like one. Prince is better than Bob Marley. Uh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, Prince is better than, Prince Bob Marley. Is better than Bob Marley. No, no, no he's not, actually. That's, no, but that's nonsense. Steve, I think you're no, just you? wrong there. <laughs> that's complete nonsense. Yes. Prince is something very cold about Prince. Very cold. And Bob Marley, as an originator, Prince, terrific technician who took a load of existing art forms and joined them together. 
I can't find it here, but Archie Valparaiso, I noticed, posted something about Joni Mitchell, where he said, she's, she's got a great voice, but she can't deliver a song. To which I say, Archie, pish and tosh. <laughs> tish as well. Fish, tosh and tish. Yeah. Any more? Yeah, it's not true. I've been thinking about that all, all the way into work this morning. Is Archie just deliberately trying to... I think to... Archie just there's a, silly. There's just a, a communal goat yeah, that he feels ought to be God. You know. And I'm, I'm not going to allow him to succeed in getting my cause, goat. Cause, and, and I can prove this, Archie, that it's not just my opinion. By, do, by challenging you this wise, Archie, find me a Joni Mitchell song that's better done by anybody other than Joni Mitchell. There simply isn't one. There is not. I made a, a CD at the weekend for somebody who probably listened to the podcast, actually. Former uh, word designer, Caroline Grimshaw. Right. The Grim. And on it, I Hello, put the Grim. Raised... Happy birthday, The Grim. Happy birthday, The Grim. I put Raised on Robbery. Raised on Robbery. Raised, raised on, on Robbery. Raised on robbery. He, was standing, he was standing in the lounge of Lido Hotel. He was drinking di- for diversion. For diversion. He was thinking, thinking to himself. himself. That's right. Along came a lady with lacy sleeves. She's standing... Blah, blah, blah. She, she, she sings brilliantly. Absolutely, she, 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 she handles in the what words way? absolutely Archie, brilliant. or archery lessons, as he <laughs> once told us his Christian. Didn't somebody write to him and say, Archie Valparaiso, that's not your real name. He says, absolutely true, bang to rights. My real name is Archery Lessons, Valparaiso. <laughs> anyway, arch, so-called archery lessons. That song is being delivered by so just Jamie back, Mitchell. Back right in now. your box, Archie Bald. Go on. Fraser, you got one? ABBA. Go with on. the greatest singles group. That's from Loki. But certainly weren't the greatest albums group. No. They made terrible albums. Don't you think that suffers from the, the kind of slightly down-your-nose down way of talking about singles groups? As if it's like talking about football teams being good in the cup, you know. Right. As if it sort of doesn't matter. It's the only thing that matters. All the great groups are singles groups. The Beatles are a singles group. Well, Radiohead are a singles group. The Dead Wood. The Dead weren't a great Elvis group either. No, but you know, let's not, let's not talk. Pink Floyd. All these groups we talk about as being really good at albums groups. Pink Floyd are bloody number one records, number one singles. They could, they could distill what they did into four minutes perfectly satisfactorily and didn't look down on it at all. Bruce Springsteen, great singles act. Did other stuff as well. But you know, if you go, if you go and went and bought his greatest hits, you pretty much have the essence of him. But isn't that the great discipline? That you can be a great album site, but the idea that you've got to, to put all this effort and construction to three minutes, ten seconds yeah, or whatever, absolutely. and make it work on FM radio to people driving trucks yeah. at three in the morning. That's the test. So all the That's best the groups are, are yeah. singles groups. It's not, it's not a secondary skill at all. So, you know, ABBA have to line up alongside The Temptations, Elvis Presley, The Rolling Stones, you know, just about anybody else. You know, Aretha Franklin, great singles act. I can remember interviewing Paul McCartney in 1982, I suppose. He had a, a record out called Pipes of Peace. Would that be 82? Is that about right? We were at Smash Hits, in fact. Or I was at I was 83. And he, um, I asked him how he felt about his new record. He had a record that he'd done with, um, with Michael Jackson called Say, 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 I think. And he said he was really worried about, he was really worried about, you know, whether it would do well. And I said... I couldn't believe that Paul McCartney... You know what I mean? I mean, I mean it just seemed extraordinary, really. I said, why? What's worrying? He says, well, ABBA have got a record out, and Human League have got a record out. And he told me, in confidence, and I don't think I put it in the article, that they had delayed the release of his record, so they didn't coincide with ABBA or Human League. Wow. Because he thought that both of those would give him a shooing, and he couldn't come up against them. Mm. And I thought that was... You know, it, just, it gave me an insight, because you kind of think in another naive way that Paul McCartney's just sitting there... You know, 
with the absolute confidence that what is good. They're not. They've just said that thing. What is the opposition I, right I, now? The opposition I, then was humanly. They were incredible. Well, I'm working on this. I'm working on the story at the moment about songwriters, and I've been talking to songwriters and and music publishers and very experienced music publishers. And what they all say is the thing that all songwriters have in common is they're driven by insecurity. You know, that was planted in them when they were 14 years old. And they need to keep getting validation from the market or from an audience or something like that. And it's far more important than money or how many records you sell. I couldn't agree with that more. That's what drives them. It's what drives them. It's it's what drives any kind of show-off, I suppose. Yeah, but it's like like people saying that the the effect you get of anything, whether you wrote an article that that people liked or you made a programme or something, that the effect of that, the satisfaction that you get, wears off very quickly. So it should. It should wear off really quickly. That's the motivation to go and do it again. Which and I, Talking of the Human League, I saw Chris Lysett the other night. Chris Lysett, who was the famous person who... <laughs> you remember the old story about the Human League Remind and Radio me. 1? Well, somebody put a copy of the Human League's new album, which had a gatefold sleeve on his desk. Do you remember? And they said, you ought to play this record. And he told, um, I oh, think yes, it was Kid Jensen, uh, yeah, he said, have you heard the new record by Mangway? It's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Jensen said, I think Chris had opened up the gatefold, Steve, to, re- to reveal the words Human League. Mangway. Because if you told it, it just reads Mangway. <laughs> <laughs> That's poor old. He came to his grave with that, that albatross around his neck. Talking about the, just uh, finishing up on the subject of validation and so forth, uh, uh, J.D. Salinger died just after we'd gone to press here. 91, 92. 91, I think. And uh, I'm just reading a fascinating piece in The New Yorker by, uh, by Lillian Ross, who obviously knew him very well, and talking about um, why he kind of hid away from, you know, from interviews and so forth. And he said, he says, The older and crankier he got, the more convinced he was that in the end, all writers get pretty much what's coming to them. The destructive praise and flattery, the killing attention and, and appreciation. I think that's a really good point, you know. And imagine how much rock stars get that kind of stuff, you know. They, they get far more than novelists would ever get, you know. But they go looking, they go looking for love, and the problem is they get too much of it. And either of those things is destructive. They they eventually just lose their their position. But also, in the world. it's like it's it's. I suppose it's like decadence. I think the the absolutely exact definition of decadence is the the need for increasing stimulation. Meaning that you can't just go out and be satisfied by the same experience. And I talked to somebody once who worked for a long time with Elton John. And he said, Elton John was the best example of this. Because if you go out, and I'm sure this is true for, of most performers actually, but if you go out and sell out the Hammersmith Odeon, and there's a standing ovation, and you come off stage, you feel terrific. But then if you go out the next night at the Hammersmith Odeon, and there isn't a standing ovation, and you don't get one on call, or you don't get two on calls but only get one, then in your mind... In the mind of Elton John, not in the mind of anybody else, in the mind of Elton John, things are starting to slide. And he said that was the most difficult thing to manage, is that as Elton John got bigger and bigger, eventually, did you remember, he finished up playing, I think he broke the attendance record in 1974, was it? A giant Stadium. Giant Stadium, yeah. which I think was something like 164,000, yeah. recently beaten, actually. Um, you know, when you've played to 164,000 people, and these people have apparently universally gone mad and dragged you back for two versions of uh, Benny and the Jets or whatever, it's really hard to change the way your mindset to accept that things might get smaller. 
And that, that, I think that must be really hard to do. I, I feel some sympathy for Elton John, actually. I'm not, I'm not being unsympathetic here. No, he's, in, he's an incredibly driven individual, isn't he? Even in, you know, in his early 60s, he has, to, he has to be out playing in front of people all the time and putting out records absolutely all the time. Elton John's just about the only person who's never slowed off. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's, he's never had a sabbatical or anything like that. I went, to a concert, I went to a concert in, um, in Hammersmith about a year ago, which was the, the guy who's been the leader of the, of the group, the Incredible String Band, who I was always very fond of, you know. And String Band had enormous success. They always played the Albert Hall with the Beatles and members of the Stones sitting cross-legged at their feet. They played the Woodstock Festival. And he was now playing a tiny boot room upstairs at the uh, Irish Folk Centre in Hammersmith. Uh, downstairs, a very, very loud tap dancing and a traditional Irish dancing class going on. So loud, actually upstairs, in this tiny, not much bigger the room we're in now, actually. Um, you could barely hear the great man playing his works, you know. And I remember talking to him afterwards and thinking he had actually come to terms with this. He wasn't bitter, he wasn't twisted, he wasn't resentful. He was just really happy that he still had a constituency, he could go to work every day, and he could still make some money. But how hard would that be? Very Can you imagine... There aren't very many. I think, you know, Wilco Johnson, who I've met a couple of times, I got the impression that Wilco Johnson had dealt with it. You know, he was so driven by the idea that the one, possibly only thing, and I don't mean to discredit him in any way, the only thing he could do, because I can't do it, was play the electric guitar like Wilco Johnson. But he still goes to work every day in a, in a trio, and he, he can still drum up, you know, 70 people with a pint and mild in their hand who are prepared to pay to see him. Mm. And he's dealt with the downsizing from what he was in the 1970s. But my God, the percentage of people are having is colossal. Is this a gloomy note to end this podcast on? No, it, it's, I, it's left us food for thought. Food for thought. And, uh, you know, we, we await your feedback with eager anticipation. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.